Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. Our passage for today comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 17. Listen for what God is saying to you. Let's not test Christ like some of them did and were killed by the snakes. Let's not grumble like some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example and were written as a warning for us to whom the end of time has come. So those who think they are standing need to watch out or else they may fall. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. So then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of false gods. I'm talking to you as though you are sensible people. Think about what I am saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body, because we all share the one loaf of bread. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of our scripture. Thank you, Emily. Emily comes from, is new to us, coming from Virginia, Virginia and um, uh, was in leadership in many churches. And then she said, and so she said, I think I need a little bit of a break when I come to UBC. And then, of course, this morning I said, would you be up for reading scripture? <laughs> so grateful for your grace and your willingness to serve in that way. Um, let us pray. God, we thank you for the gift that it is to gather together here on this, this uh, very special day where we remember, are reminded of the evenness of your seasons, um, where we remind, we remember um, that uh, that here on the equinox that we we live in circles and we and cycles and um, and that we get to uh, use those as opportunities to pause just a little bit in our journey and in our thinking. And so we ask that you would be present here in this space, um, in this uh, holy conversation with you, with your scripture. Um, speak through me, maybe in spite of me, um, and clear away the clutter of our hearts and minds that we might catch a glimpse of what it is that you're trying to do within us and that we might even be able to respond with courage. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to turn this off because I feel like there's some feedback. Oh, never mind. It's not on. So it's just me. Um, so many moons ago, uh, when I was an aspiring driver taking driving classes at the local driving school, which was a thing that we, I, we did. I don't know if that still is a thing. Um, I saw this old cartoon. Truly, the average man is a creature of strange and unorthodox habits. Take the case of Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker lives in a quiet, respectable neighborhood. He is a typical average man, considered a good citizen and of average intelligence. He is a kindly man, courteous, punctual, and honest. Good morning, Mr. Walker. Good morning to you, Mr. Geef. Lovely day. Mr. Walker wouldn't hurt a fly. 
nor step on an ant. He believes in live and let live. Mr. Walker owns a motor car and considers himself a good driver. But once behind the wheel, a strange phenomenon takes place. Mr. Walker is charged with an overwhelming sense of power. His whole personality changes. Abruptly, he becomes an uncontrollable monster, a demon driver. Mr. Walker is now Mr. Wheeler, a motorist. Where you going, stupid? Hey, do you think you're on the whole road? Hmm. Of course I own the road. My taxes pay for them. I voted for road bonds. I paid for the roads. And I'll use them. When I was a wee 15-year-old watching this movie, it seemed preposterous that people would behave this way while driving. <laughs> then I moved to Chicago, right? <laughs> I relocated from a city where the problem with merging is that people are too polite. After you, no after you, no after you. To a city where it would not be surprising to look in your rearview mirror and see someone come barreling down the shoulder to cut in at last minute. Can I get an amen? And so I thought of this film when I was researching and meditating on our passage for this morning. Whether you're a social justice warrior who has become so purist in your views that there's no grace for folks to learn and grow, or a you Chicago student getting swept up in the intellectual egotism of an elite school, a pastor or a church leader who has let their self believe that their status makes them infallible, saturated in corporate competitiveness where the folks who don't perform are called trash, or simply living in a neighborhood where people have long stopped caring for one another or their space, I thought about how easy it can be to let ourselves get so wrapped up in our culture of a, or a tribe or a setting or just circumstances of a situation that you lose sight of who you are and what you're about. And here, in his first letter to the Corinthian Christian community, this is basically what Paul is talking about. Corinth was a center of commerce, and the people who re relocated there were thirsty. They were thirsty to show up and show out, to go along and get ahead, regardless of what or who they had to climb over in order to do it. And so throughout his letter, Paul is not only calling out bad behavior, he's also trying to help them navigate the powerful social forces and cultural norms that shaped their lives and behavior. But instead of kind of giving them a list of to-dos and, and or don'ts, uh, he tries a different kind of guidance. Faith is sort of like jazz, he says. You have the chords and the melody, but how you string it together and uh, what your tempo is can be and should be adjusted to the situation and the circumstance, the people that you're playing with, right? But always, the music should stay the same. And while much of the letter is uh, how not to lose the melody, how to stay on point and keep the integrity of the music, our, our passage for today is a little bit like an island in the middle of that. And I think, I, I wonder if, if Paul realized at some point along the way in his writing, he thought, hey, wait a minute, maybe it's not so much that they don't know what they're supposed to do, that they don't get it, maybe what they need is some encouragement and cheerleading that they really can do it. So... At the beginning of chapter 10, Paul calls upon them to look to their spiritual ancestors who made it through the exodus from Egypt and 40 years of wilderness. 
not so much to follow their example, but to learn from their mistakes. I'll admit, Paul is a little bit of a negative Nathan in this uh, moment. He says to these Corinthians, look at those suckers, right? They had a front row seat seat to God's miraculous work and provisions that they had all that they needed through Moses' leadership and even Jesus was there as a rock and a support. Nevertheless, they persisted in idolatry, immorality, grumbling, and complaining. And even though it sounds like he's kind of hating on them, what Paul's really trying to say is, hey, folks, this is a key story in our tradition, yet even those folks can get it pretty wrong. Don't start thinking that you're exempt from tripping up from time to time. Faithful living is a challenge, even when you're surrounded by folks who share your beliefs and values. How much harder is it when you're not? How much more challenging can it be to stay on point with your faith when everything and everyone around you has a different agenda, a different set of values that they operate by? Just because you know better, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll do better. Because faithful living is hard. But it's not impossible. Paul puts it this way. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Now, we're in this series talking about things that the Bible doesn't actually say, but many people think it says. And we've talked about whether or not everything happens for a reason, uh, naming and claiming our prosperity. And this week, we're talking about the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. I want things to make sense. I want to have to not deal with the gray areas of God's activity. I want there to always be a reason, and I want to know what that reason is. And because I don't, because we don't, because it makes us uncomfortable to not know the answer to this question, we justify God's behavior by saying it was a test or a confirmation of our faith, that because your faith and your spiritual endurance is really strong, God is trusting you with this challenge. But to read the passage this way, it's not only incorrect and unfair, It's also shame-inducing. Let's say God won't give you more than you can handle. And let's say, I try to be as faithful as I can, but things are not working out. Let's say I'm so overwhelmed by by my circumstances that I just can't hold up my end of things. If I'm not the perfect pillar of faith as I move through this hardship, somehow not only do I end up feeling overwhelmed by my circumstances, now I'm a failure. Why do we do this to one another, to ourselves? That kind of spirit, that kind of harsh, abusive dealing with our souls in the most vulnerable moments of our lives, this is not what God has in mind. So then what does God have in mind? How about this? Come to me. All you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. And at first blush, it might feel, not feel like this clears anything up, but if you look at the Greek, you'll see that this word that gets translated as easy would be better translated as useful gentle, pleasant, or kind. My yoke is gentle and kind, Jesus says. My burden is light. God's love and God's intentions for you are not to struggle under the demands of a faith life. God desires that your soul should find rest, kindness, 
gentleness. A relationship with Jesus is intended to be useful and pleasant. Could you imagine that? Now, if you come from an evangelical background like I do, you might have been taught that you were supposed to be broken before the Lord, that you should always be seeking to dig out that sin from within you like a deeply embedded splinter, digging, 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 despite the pain and in spite of what it did to your flesh, never mind the violence that it did to your soul. Now, this is a complete perversion of God's intentions for us. God desires that we live lives of flourishing, not diminishment or self-harm or self-loathing. Even Paul, the original CrossFit Christian, even he wasn't so hardcore that he would shame people if they were feeling overwhelmed by those moments when faith and life collide. When Paul says, God won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities, and God will supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. I'm going to take you back to Greek class. When he says this, you might not realize the word you in this doesn't really mean you as in singular. The word that Paul uses is hymnos, which is the second plural version of you. In other words, he means y'all. Okay? God won't allow y'all to be tempted beyond your abilities. God will also supply a way out so that y'all will be able to endure it. Your burdens are not yours to bear alone. Y'all, it's all y'alls to bear together, right? That's what he's saying. Folk might not be able to solve your problems or fix your circumstances or change your situation, but they can be with you in it, carrying each other encouraging each other in faith, in hope, in love. Paul says, y'all are in this together. We are in this together. God won't give you more than you can handle. It's a true statement, but not in the way you might think it is. It's true in that God isn't expecting you to bear your burdens alone, that we bear them together. And in doing so, we take on the pleasant, useful, kind, and gentle yoke that is given to us by Jesus. The same Jesus who gathered his followers around countless tables to share stories and increase understanding. The same Jesus whose meals not only fed the body, but also the spirit. The same Jesus who by the breaking of bread and the pouring out of wine gave us a glimpse and a taste of what could be if we would just let it. And so it should be no surprise to any of us to hear Paul saying that when we come to the table of Jesus, something mysterious and beautiful and powerful happens. When we share the cup, we share in the pouring out of Christ. That that the bread we break is a sharing in Christ's willingness to be broken on our behalf. We share in each other's burdens because that's what Jesus showed us tables like these were able and made to do. That we could come together over a holy meal with holy communion, which is another way to say holy conversations, relationships, and love and experience that the burdens we bear are not meant to be borne alone. You know, this morning, I came to church after a week of kind of getting, getting put through the ringer in various different ways, and to see all the people who showed up, even in, this, in spite of last-minute bad news about Rashada's um, 
the person in her life who passed, that, that to see all these people here, it didn't change the facts, right? But it sure did feel good to know that I wasn't alone in this work, that we're not alone in this work. We're not meant to bear our burdens alone. When we, uh, when we gather in faith to the, at this table, when we gather to do life together at this table, we're reminded that we're not alone. We're reminded that we're not alone. You are not alone. We are in this together. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you don't give us more than we can handle together. We thank you that by the gift of your community, we have access to your body, to your kindness, to your goodness, to your gentle and easy and useful yoke. We thank you that you are here with us and that you draw us together and that when we come together in your name, something powerful and indescribable and yet incredibly encouraging happens. And so help us to remember in those moments when life feels like it's more than we can bear, to remember that we don't have to bear it alone. Help us to reach out and help us to seek each other out so that we can be reminded once again that we are with you and you are with us and that you have supplied us through one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.